Welcome to the Dripping in Black podcast, where we celebrate Black excellence throughout the Black diaspora. Here's your host, David V. Lewis. What's up, good people all across the world? This is the Dripping in Black podcast. I am your host, David V. Lewis. And per usual, we have another fantastic guest who represents Black excellence in their realm of excellence. Today's guest is Sherry Young. Sherry, say hello to the world. Hello, world. Okay, and so we're going to get into a pretty interesting uh, conversation. Um, You have a real interesting story to me. Uh, I have a lot of questions to ask you about what it is that you've done and created. But before we get into that, I always like to introduce our audience to our guests. So I began by asking this question, who is Sherry Young? Oh boy, um, you know, David helped prep me before that first question because that is one of the hardest questions for people to answer in any interview. And uh, David, you told me like, don't tell us about what you do, tell us who you are. So yes. really, I had to think about who I am, my values when I was growing up, of what my understanding of the world is and what I wanted to accomplish. And I am a truth seeker and a truth teller. Um, I was always about fairness and honesty at a very young age. And when that wasn't happening and when people lied, it would just drive me crazy internally. <laughs> so I know that that is like a big part of my character. But the other part of my character is, is having like creativity and having your voice heard. And I always wanted to do performance and art. Even as a young person, we would, um, my sisters and I, we would set up the garage, you know, cold, dark garage. We would sell popcorn to my parents, get the Christmas lights, make a little stage area, put a curtain, and we would do performances. And I've always, there's just something about that production and producer aspect that I've always ventured towards. So, so that is at the essence of who I am. So where were you born and raised? I was born in Brooklyn, New York, but raised in San Francisco, California. My parents met out here. I know. Bicoastal. Bicoastal (laughs) at a young age. (laughs) My parents met out here in San Francisco, California, because, you know, back in the 60s, they were having all the black folks from the South, like go to the West, all these opportunities. And that's where they met. But my dad was stationed in the Navy and they stationed him in Brooklyn. So my mom and dad got married and they moved over to Brooklyn and they stayed there for four years. But at the age of two, they came back to California because that's where my mom and all her family and support system was. And that's okay. where we remained. Okay. And you talked about sisters. So what, how many yeah. siblings do you have? All girls, three other girls. Uh, 
Wow. Uh, one is older than me, two are younger than me, and each one of us is a unique and a different dynamic of the family. We all have our functions, and as siblings, you know, it was a very interesting dynamic, um, but as grown women, we have a new relationship and bond with each other that it's, you know, it's, it's just such a godsend to have uh, the sisters I do in my life. Yeah. And so we got uh, a little bit about you and your story and your information from a friend of ours, uh, Rochelle Cunningham. How did you come to meet uh, Rochelle? Well, I know Rochelle because of her son. Devin Cunningham is one of our um, company actors at the African-American Shakespeare Company. He is brilliant. And Rochelle recently told me that we were his first hiring gig for him as an actor and I was like what Devin is so naturally talented how were we the first ones to ever recognize and, and hire him and and that's what our organization does we find this raw talent that people didn't give a chance to like help develop and and bloom and, and have a place to go we give them that area and opportunity to show what they can give and, you know, Rochelle is a great supporter of our company and organization, and we just love her son to death. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So that's an excellent segue to get into. You are the executive director and founder of the AASC, the African-American Shakespeare Company. Uh, what is that? <laughs> that's a very good question. Um, and do you mind if I just tell you a little background about why I started the company? Because it's not changed. at all. Same thing is happening over and over again. So back in the 1990s, the early 90s, um, the theater communities across the nation were having this diversity issue. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because it's still happening today. Oh, yeah. And but what their solution was was that they were going to do quote unquote colorblind casting. And what that meant wow. was, is that we're going to just put like some more black people on the stage and maybe a few Asians on the stage and you know, somebody in a wheelchair and maybe a Latino. But what mm -hmm. that colorblind casting did was totally ignore mm -hmm. the culture of whoever was on the stage. So we're all supposed to pretend that these artists of color are white or European. Right. And it didn't right. make sense. It didn't look, it, did, it didn't look real and no one was addressing it. And it wasn't attracting anyone from my community to want to go see the show. Because if we wanted right. to see men in tights, you know, and, and, and black men uh, speak the queen's language, you know, that's not going to attract my grandmother, my aunties, it's not going to attract any of my peers. So, so I kind of said, this is, this is not, not, not any way to reach my community. <laughs> and I would go to, you know, I went to um, uh, 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 the American Conservatory Theater on the West, which is like the West Coast version of Juilliard. And, um, and I would go to Shakespeare shows because, you know, you, you get all of this kind of training, you know, you do all these Shakespeare, Chekhov, Ibsen, but you don't really get to do the August Wilsons in these training course because they figure, hey, you're black, 
you, you're going to be doing that anyway, so you should learn all this other stuff. So I would go and watch these Shakespeare shows, you know, out in the Bay Area, and I would be the only chocolate chip in the, in the cookie, you know, the only Black person there in a sea of white, white people. And, um, and one day I was watching King Lear, which is about this, this king of great importance and, 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 and like just high esteem. And, and, and he has these beautiful daughters and he's asking them, show, show me your love. How, 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 how would you like praise me as, as a father and the king and the governor? And, um, and they all gave these speeches, but then one daughter said that, you know, I, I wouldn't show you any praise. And he flipped out and he fell down and no one reacted on the stage. And I said, this is so bunk. If, if, if the reverend or the top deacon or let's say Mayor Willie Brown or, you know, let's say Barack Obama, if he were to fall down in front of his soul, people would react and they would say something and they would be yeah. gossiping. So, so I said, let me find a way to tell these stories in the manner that we recognize, that my Black community okay. recognizes and understands so we can be part of the conversation. So that's yes, how and why I started African-American Shakespeare. Yeah, and so the interesting, well, one of the interesting uh, parts of the name for me is Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. You know, we typically don't think African-American and Shakespeare in the same name. So why Shakespeare? Well, at the time, there's always like, there was another theater company in the Bay Area called the Lorraine Hansberry Theater Company that did Black playwrights for Black artists and the Black community. And I never wanted to step in their territory. There's not enough Black audience for two <laughs> Black companies to do the exact same thing. That's too much competition. So I decided to do something different, you know? Um, like I was saying that I came out of this training course, but I had no real opportunities of doing some of these other great roles um, that, you know, it's just like over the course of time, there's these wonderful roles that you'll never see really black artists have the opportunity to get their hands on and to like sharpen their chops, you know? It's like going to the Olympics. And it's not that Shakespeare is like the, the best and the only, there's plenty of excellent, like creative writers, yeah. but I did not want to compete with what Lorraine Hansberry was doing. So I said, let me do gotcha. a Shakespeare company. And we only started off with just like one show a year, you know, Black History Month, one show a year. And we mm -hmm. uh, had no money, you know. <laughs> I started off with like $3,000 <laughs> on a credit card back in 1994. Mm -hmm. But it, wow. it, it has so much interest. And I think people were appreciative of seeing the same work that they've seen over and over again for those who are familiar with Shakespeare, but they saw it in another yeah. person's, another cultural perspective's viewpoint, which made it fresh. Yeah. And to our Black yeah. community, these were new stories. They've never seen this yeah. stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, it's like, oh, okay. Uh, we, we're not mad at this. We okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a, a really dope concept. Um, one of the benefits that I get from the Dripping in Black podcast is, 
there's so many uh, black people doing excellent things, but a lot of times it's born out of this lack, right? So they see a lack and instead of sitting around complaining about it and allowing the lack to remain, they actually do something about it, you know? So I think that's a part of your story I wanted to to put on uh, the recording is that you actually saw a void, but then decided to do something about it, right? Yeah. So my next question then is what what were some challenges that you were forced to confront? Because there's nothing like this, right? You said there's a similar thing, but really not quite like what you're doing, right? So what right. are some of the challenges that you faced? When I first started, because I was like in my like early almost mid-20s. When I first started, I had no idea what I was doing. I was learning on the job. (laughs) And it's funny how you kind of think in life that some of the things you go through in life is like, what is the purpose? Everything I learned, every job I had, and I was working temporary jobs and I was doing all sorts of different things. There was always something that I encountered that helped me create this organization. So, wow. so yeah, so it's like, I worked for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society and all they did was nothing but fundraisers. And I learned and understood how to raise funds and do special events. So, and I understood how that worked. I worked in an educational institution in their contracts department. And I learned how to put a contract together in what language and that was like the actual contract I used when I hired our artists back in the 90s. So everything, and then you meet people in these different industries and, and you learn from them. So I, I was like a seeker of knowledge. Um, and I mm-hmm. love putting, you know, I love trying to figure out puzzles, putting things together, you know, piecemealing it out. It's a long haul, you know, it took me a long time, but um that's how the organization kind of birthed itself because I was dissatisfied, you know, I was not happy with what was given um, to us in the Bay area. There was only one black theater company. There was a reputation of the, that black theater company having some level of dysfunction and, you know, not being equitable. And, And remember, I told you, I'm all about truth and honesty And I said, Sherry, instead of you complaining and waiting for somebody to do something for you, go ahead and and do it yourself. Make it yourself. Don't wait around for Mm -hmm. anyone else to give you permission to do what you want to do in life. And that was like one of the first lessons that I walked away with. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do my, I'll do my own theater company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then because you are so young, you don't have any idea what it takes. <laughs> yeah. so. It's a powerful lesson, uh, but yeah. you know, it's more than a notion to create a, uh, a, yeah. a, you know, a Shakespeare company. <laughs> yes. Or any company, so, any, anything. Yes. Any, any company. And so, you uh you say the greatest challenge at the time was just probably your inexperience. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, we had no space, and I was begging, borrowing to rehearse in like uh, garages, 
There's other theater companies where we borrow their costumes. And the theater community was very appreciative, you know. They're like, sure, you can borrow our costumes. Yes, we have a rehearsal space. And, you know, like I said, I put $3,000 on a credit card, rented out a venue, uh, charged the price of a movie ticket. And at that time, a movie ticket was $7, you know. So I didn't want to be higher than a movie ticket expense and had a two-day performance uh, that sold out. But it was a 70-seat theater house. So to me, that was success. And in yeah. my inexperienced vision, my concept was, whew, okay, I did all the hard work. Now you white companies, you guys see my example of what I did and uh, go ahead and give us money to do more mm -hmm. and, and hire us and someone else will run the organization and now I can go back to being an actor on the stage. Yeah. That's that's what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But of course, it, it does, didn't quite happen that way. So my next question then is, now it's about sustaining and expanding and growing this mm -hmm. vision. So now you got your feet wet, you kind of see some things, you understand things a lot better. What are some challenges that you have in terms of sustaining it, sustaining what you're doing and then elevating what you want to do with, with your program? Well, the challenges I have now are very different than the challenges I had when I started it. So I'll tell you about my challenges now. My challenge okay. now is that we, um, we have to um, rent out the facilities where we perform. And we started off in a community center, which was great. It gave us a structure and a foundation and the ability to grow. But the community center kept changing administrators. And every time you have somebody new come in, they want to wipe the slate clean and say, oh, I have a brilliant idea. Let me do produce shows. Yeah. And they didn't have any experience and know what hard work. And actually, you end up losing money more than making money but all mm -hmm. these new administrators would have these brilliant ideas without being in place and involved with understanding how to do the work and they would see how successful we were and they would say you know what we're not going to give you the space anymore or we're going to reduce your time that you have access to the space so we had to go out and rent these other venues, which are beautiful venues, like 800, 900 seats, you know, like 16 ushers, Union Tech, but those venues cost us $40,000 for a one month run. And we only perform on the weekends. So that was really expensive. And what I'm kind of figuring out is that when we don't have our own space, we don't have our own control. So the challenge that I am doing right now is that we are looking for our own space to make it our home because anything could happen. New people might want to come in and say, well, we're seeing how successful you guys are in these other venues. Now let's take over and, and, we'll, and we'll be back at square one. So that's like one of our biggest sustaining things. Another challenge that we have is we don't have a real system 
in our development process, like donation drives and asking for money. You know, there's something about the Black community where we think when we're asking for help that it makes us less than, it actually makes us more powerful because wow. with help comes building strength. And with building strength means that whatever wind comes to make you sway right or left, you're not going to fall down. So yeah. uh, those are my new challenges. Yeah. Yeah. I want to offer, uh, you know, uh, I'm hearing my mentor speaking to me, uh, <laughs> through my, through my head. And he has a, he has a, uh, a problem with the word help. He likes to replace mm. help with support. Mm. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Is that is that more of what you're looking for, support as opposed to help? You know what? Yes, you could use the word support if there are people who are like um, money, you know, financial people. You could use the word investment. You could even yeah. use the word engagement. It all adds up to the same end result. So yes, support yeah. is yeah. a great word to use instead of help. But you got to yeah. let people know. You got. No one's gonna read your mind and say, "Oh, you like, oh, this pe- this group, they need my support." No one's gonna read your mind. You gotta tell them, "I right. need support." Right, and and I agree with you. That is one of the stigmas in our community about asking for support, help, whatever you want to call it. We, yeah. you know, and a part of that is our culture. We 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 don't have a lot of places that we can count on. So you know, basically, like you 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 created this company because you saw a lack and there's nobody out there doing it. So you do it, you did it yourself. Right. Right. And then mm-hmm. along the way, you probably found, Oh, this place can support me. This place can support me. Like you said, mm-hmm. the theater uh, group is very supportive. All right. So next question is knowing what you know now, <laughs> what is some advice you would give to the younger Sherry? Mm. The journey is the journey is the treasure. You're all I was always thinking of, you know, I gotta wait until I get here. Once I get here, mm. I'll be settled. And that's not true. It's the journey of the lows and the highs that made mm. me strong. And yeah. and once I got to that level I was reaching, and it it took longer than I thought all the time, but once I got to that level. I kind of realized it's like I needed to go through all that crap and all those like surges and slips to really get to this level. And now I'm comfortable. Now let me go to the next level. So I I would say, Sherry, just settle down. You'll you'll get there. Just settle down. (laughs) Because I wanted it now. I was like, why isn't this happening immediately? (laughs) So Yeah, yeah. And who does it? Right. Who doesn't who sets out to do something, who doesn't want it as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. But the journey is the treasure. That's Mm -hmm. that's such a powerful uh, thing to learn. All right. So let me ask this. You have a couple of questions that you offered. So let's dig into some of those. The first one you you asked, uh, why are we promoting Shakespeare at a time of Black Lives Matter and celebrating Black culture? Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in your response today. Well, you know, it's a it's a process response that I'm like going through in my head because when I started this, the country was one way, but now after Black Lives Matter, you know, 
there's all of these creative like black artists coming up and being seen and noticed and people are wondering like well why don't you guys like support more black playwrights and you know and and I was like yeah we do need to discover what some of those black playwrights who will be classics in the next 200 500 700 years and elevate them so one of the things that I know is that we do not want to do Shakespeare because he's white you know it's not that we're praising a white writer we're we're elevating our our boundlessness I don't want anyone to ever tell us you can't be a swimmer because you're black or you guys yeah. aren't supposed to be in this space because of who you are. I, like I said, I told you my in, internal dialogue was being a truth teller. I believe black people should be and could be everywhere and anywhere. And that no, no one else is allowed to tell us about our boundaries. So that's the first thing. Yeah. And then also we have to realize that we're in America. And what that means is that <laughs> As dysfunctional of a family that America is, we have a lot of European um, uh, culture in us. And I say that as like, if you, take a, if you take away the art, then let's look about the religion. There's a lot of Christi- Christians. Are you gonna tell black America yeah. you can't be a Christian anymore because that was, yeah. you know, European, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a part of who we are. So I can still yeah. enjoy Shakespeare's language and appreciate him, but I can also enjoy hip hop. I can also yeah. enjoy, you know, dim sum. You know, I can enjoy all sorts of things. And, and yeah. that's the whole thing is that I don't want us to ever think that because we're black, that we only should do just one thing. Yeah, absolutely. So the African American Shakespeare Company, if you had a switch that you could flip to take the African American Shakespeare Company to the next level, right? So you have it right here. Mm-hmm. Your next level is here. You can flip a switch and get there. What would that switch entail? Mm. <laughs> So I'm flipping a switch, flip. And what happens is that we have our own space. We have, um, we have programs on the stage. Some of our stage programs are television series as well. You know, we have workshops for emerging artists to come in and learn the craft and be in a safe space and environment. We have community members from across the country wanting like let's say they're buying the tickets to an african-american shakespeare show a year or two years in advance and they're going to make a special trip out to san francisco but we also have a touring component that grows across the nation and even does a partnership with mother africa in ghana you know so yeah yeah yeah. so oh oh, and, and everybody has an equitable salary that people are actually living comfortably and beyond a living wage so that our artists and our administrators feel like they have ownership because let's not forget the equitable pay. Now let's not forget Mm -hmm. that for the black community, you know, 
there just needs to be more yeah. choices for us. Yeah, absolutely. And so if I pose the same question to myself about this podcast, mm-hmm. um, this podcast will be reaching people all across the world. The views will be astronomical and people will just get an insight on black excellence in all realms of the world. And I'm saying that to lead up to this. So this is going out to the world. How could people in the world support you with that vision to that next level? What are some things tangibly people watching this podcast can provide you to get you to that next level? That's a, James, that's a very good question. What they could do tangibly is contact us and get on our mailing list. We're changing our website, which should be updated by no later than September the 1st. But that contact on our website at african-americanshakes.org, contact us. People know other people. Get in communication with us because we want your financial support. We can't do this alone and we want financial support. But the human support is the best thing that we ever could ask. So there's like, we're looking for people to serve on our committees, on our board of directors. You know, if you know of schools or youth or talent, we want to get to know them. So that is the kind of support. We need information, financial, and we need resources. So that's the best way. And contacting us is the first step. Okay. Excellent. So now before we get to the most important question of the podcast, I'm going to ask that you, again, run down your social media and ways people can contact you if you have a phone number for them to call and provide that as well. Oh, sure. The best way is to give our office a call at area code 415-762-2071. If you go to our website, our social media handles from LinkedIn, Twitter, um, uh, Facebook, they're all on the uh, every single header page. And that uh, uh, URL is African with a hyphen dash or dash American Shakes, short for Shakespeare, dot O-R-G. So African dash American Shakes dot O-R-G. That's the best way. You can click on and follow us and go to our YouTube. A lot more content is coming up. And like I said, said, our website will be changing by September 1st, 2021. Okay. Excellent. All right. So let's get to the most important question uh, of the Dripping in Black podcast that we ask all of our guests. And that is, have you ever been on the cover of a magazine? No, I have not been on the cover of a magazine. Not yet. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I am I am always surprised by the 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 number of people who have not been granted uh, a magazine cover. And I'm also thoroughly pleased to let them know that they have been granted um, that same pleasure because uh, once you become a guest of the Dripping in Black podcast, what we do is we place you on the Dripping in Black magazine cover. All right. And so my producer is putting it up for you. (laughs) 
Oh, I love that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, that's a, I, I actually love that. That's a great photo. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So that is also going to be a parting gift for you. Thank you. We will uh, continue to mock it up and get it tight, print it out and send it out to you at a, uh, a later date as a thanks for you coming out. No, thank you. This was wonderful, David. It's great to meet you and getting to know Dripping in Black. And uh, you know what? Let's, let's help you get to your, what is your goal for how many viewers you have? What is your goal? Oh, you know what? I am. <laughs> you guessed that you flipped you don't the script. Have, you don't have it. I know. You don't have I am, uh, <laughs> I am. I am new to social media, so I don't even know what a good goal would be. Um, as many as possible. Um, to me, uh, every continent where you can find YouTube, you can find podcast platforms. Um, <laughs> my producer is putting a number <laughs> in there that I don't even like think I can say. Like billions, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the more people that, you know, because again, our mission is to counter the perspective in which, you know, mainstream media portrays Africans and African-Americans. Mm -hmm you know, it's always this buffoonery or it's thuggery. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that's not part of our culture, but it's definitely it's not, not the, the only one. Yeah. It's yeah. not the only one is not the predominant right. part of our culture. The predominant part of our culture is black excellence. People in the community working hard, providing despite the challenges that mm -hmm. this European, uh, you know, culturally based country provides. Mm -hmm. uh, us as a people, we still overcome that and produce in excellent ways. And so that's the story that um, we're aiming to get out there and let people know about. And so uh, I can't think of a number, but thank you for the question. <laughs> yes, yes. Let me let me help support you to get to your goals as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we will we will cut it there. Um, I think we can have you back on and talk about a few more things. There's a few things we left out there. You talked a little bit about uh, the next generation of leaders. That's a great conversation. I think we should have at some point. And then I'm interested in what what's up next for you. But I'll table that to invite you back at a later date. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Thank you. All right. And so we'll ask the rest of our audience to just hang on. We have one more segment called The Last Drip. But thanks again to the fantastic Sherry Young. Up next, The Last Drip. But first, a message from Anchor. A dripping in black thanks to Sherry Young. We appreciate her for kicking off our second season with her tremendous story and spirit. However, we have reached the final segment of our podcast called The Last Drip. The Last Drip is the last opportunity for us to squeeze in a bit more of Black excellence for you. In this final segment, we highlight a common thread between our guests and our vast and rich African-American history. For this episode, we recognize the great life and legacy of Vinette Carroll. Bennett was born in New York City on March 11th, 1922. In 1925, her family moved to Jamaica, where she spent most of her childhood. When she returned back to the States as an adult, Bennett earned a bachelor's degree from Long Island University in 1944, a master's degree from New York University in 1946, and she became a PhD candidate at Columbia University before deciding to pursue her career in theater. 
Like our guest, Sherry Young, Finette began her professional theatrical career as an actress and what a career she had. In 1956, Finette made her Broadway debut in the play A Streetcar Named Desire. In 1962, for her role in Moon on a Rainbow Shawl, Finette won an Obie Award, which recognizes excellence in off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway theater. In 1964, she received an Emmy Award for co-conceiving and supervising the TV program Beyond the Blues. Carol was also behind several productions that went to Broadway. In 1972, when Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope opened at the Playhouse Theater, Carol became the very first African-American woman to direct a production on Broadway. In 1975, Carol's musical Your Arms Too Short to Box for God debuted. In 1977, it was nominated for four Tony Awards, including two for Carol, one as a writer for Best Book of a Musical and one for Best Director, making her the only Tony-nominated African-American woman in the directing category. In 1979, Annette Carroll was inducted to the Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame. In 1967, Miss Vanette Carroll founded the Urban Arts Corps, and through this organization, she helped several minoritized performers across New York City develop their careers in all theatrical disciplines. It's this part of her story that extends her legacy in theater beyond herself into the lives of countless others. And for her tremendous life in theater, she is this episode's last drip. For more on Vanette Carroll, check out chicagoinfinieta.org, aaregistry.org, vanettecarroll.com, and face2faceafrica.com. Face2face being face, the number two, faceafrica.com. My thanks to all of these websites for the knowledge. So many untold and undertold stories of our greatness. The question is, how bad do you want to know them? All right, we'll have to leave it there. But until next time, be kind, be loving, and be excellent on purpose. It is a choice. You have just experienced a Dripping in Black production.